All right. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the eighth Psalm, Psalm 8. And in fact, I'm gonna, if you are able to, can you stand one more time? We're going to pray. Go ahead and bookmark that. We're going to look at all nine verses of Psalm 8. Uh, not a very long message this morning, but I believe a timely one. Uh, we had a, quite a few folks that it ministered to this morning, and my trust uh, in the Lord is that He'll minister to you as well. Psalm 8 uh, in your Bible's Old Testament. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just thank You for Your grace. We thank You for how You speak to Your people. Uh, we ask, God, that You would move by Your Spirit uh, during the preaching of Your Word, and that, Lord, You would use Your Word to touch lives, uh, to help us, to challenge us, uh, to give us direction. And Lord, just have your way. Teach us today through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So a few years ago, some of you are familiar with the band Casting Crowns. A few years ago, Casting Crowns had a, a hit song entitled, Who Am I? And uh, in the opening verse, the lead singer, Mark Hall, asked the question, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wondering heart, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind still you hear when I'm calling, you catch me when I'm falling, and you tell me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. Listen, the message of that song, which is plainly and powerfully declared, is that no matter how small or insignificant you may feel, that the Lord of all the earth, He knows your name. He knows your name, and, and He made you special and he calls you his own. A long, long time ago in a land far, far away, another great songwriter wrote a similar song with the same message. See, when King David considered the majesty and, and the greatness of God, he felt greatly insignificant by comparison. In Psalm 8, David actually stands in awe of the majesty of the Lord. And when he realized how vast and magnificent God truly is, he's even more amazed that God would actually take the time to notice him, a regular, ordinary man. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you've contemplated that, that the God of the universe created you. That in spite of, of, of hang-ups and baggage and mess-ups and uh, all of the bad and poor decisions that you may or may not have made, that He loved you so much, that the Father in heaven loved you so much that on your worst day, He still sent Jesus to die on a cross to save you to cleanse you of all sin. So I want to take a moment and, and review Psalm 8, beginning at verse 1. Let's read what it says right there. Be up on the screens. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything, say everything. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, oh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Listen, someone once noted that this psalm is a prime example of what a hymn should be, right? celebrating as it does the glory and the grace of our God, rehearsing who He is and, and what He has done and relating us and our world to Him in a spirit mingled with joy and awe. And so in this beautiful expression of praise to God, David actually stands amazed that the God of creation, the great and glorious Yahweh, would pay attention to the frail people of planet earth in fact that God should focus attention and lavish his love on us is the very proof of our dignity as creatures made in the image of God see we are whether you realize it or not we are definitely God's special creation in Psalm 8 we discover our our true value and worth only when we make God the reference point of our lives in other words you matter because you matter to God See, apart from knowing God, we actually have no understanding of who we are or what role we're supposed to play in this great, big, confusing universe. And yet, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, David actually reveals three wonderful truths that declare both the great value of humanity and the awesome majesty of our God, all in Psalm 8. And so the first truth that we can see in our text this morning is that you and I are specially created by God. Say created. You are specially created by God. Listen, clearly David was mesmerized by the majesty of God. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of God when God is moving, when God is doing something special, uh, when maybe there's something supernatural taking place and someone is being healed or, or someone is being delivered and, and you see God at work. And maybe it's been a while since you've seen that, but I've seen that in my life. Some of you have seen it as well. And there is nothing like the glory and the majesty and the power of our God when he is moving and whether you realize it or God, he is always moving. He is always moving. And he moves upon his creation. We're created. David was mesmerized by the majesty of God. In fact, let's go back to verse 3 where he wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which have set which you have set in place. I mean, think about the, the best, most beautiful night when you look up in the, in the sky and you see the stars and maybe you see the moon and, and all of a sudden, it's, 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 as you're thinking about God's creation, you come to the realization that our God spoke that into existence. And I know I'm like a kid sometimes. I think it's like God went boop. Set the moon over here, and it's just absolutely beautiful. All of these constellations that these scientists and, and uh, uh, very heady people focus in on, and they're just looking at it all. They look at it through a microscope, and, 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 you know, and some of them are crazy because they can look at all that and still say that there is no God. Insane. 
insane. We know that scientists and philosophers, they've long debated and discussed the origin of the universe. And yet Bible Christians, Bible-believing Christians have known all along that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so that is a, the fact of Genesis 1.1. Sir Isaac Newton was a famous mathematician and, and scientist who believed in God. But he had a very close friend who did not. Anybody have a friend who does not believe that there is a God? They just they do not believe. And so uh, Newton had a friend like that. And so Newton, he actually devised a plan to try and convince his friend that God did in fact exist and that he created the universe. How many of you know that is a big challenge? A lot of times they are just so convinced. Nothing that you say can change their mind. But check it out. One day, Newton went to a carpentry shop and he actually asked the owner to make a very detailed model of our solar system. And this model was to be made to scale, intricately painted and designed to resemble as closely as possible the actual uh, solar system. And after several weeks, Sir Isaac actually went in and he picked up the model and he paid for it and he decided to... To place it as a, at a focal point in his house at the center of a table and sometime later, later he decided to invite his atheist friend to come over for a visit. And when the friend arrived at Newton's house, the model of the solar system, it actually caught his eye. And, and Sir Isaac uh, just kind of watched him and, as he was kind of looking at it and he asked Sir Isaac if he could inspect the model more closely. And as the atheist inspected the model, he was impressed by the fine craftsmanship and, and the beauty of all the pieces and how, how they seem to flow together and, and just be so connected. And after a while, the atheist friend asked Newton who had crafted, who, who it was that had crafted this model. And Sir Isaac promptly replied that no one had made the model. It just appeared on the table by accident. Confused? Very confused, his friend repeated the question, and yet Newton stubbornly clung to his answer that the model had just appeared out of thin air, and finally the friend became just irritated and upset, to which Isaac explained the purpose of his answer. You see, if you could, he could not convince his friend that this crude replica of the solar system had just happened by accident, how in the world could his friend believe that the real solar system, will, with all of its literal complexity and design appeared by chance or by accident. The point is, design always demands a designer. Creation always requires a creator. And so clearly, listen, you and I right now, we were created by God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands or His craftsmanship. Listen, the fingerprints of God are everywhere. They're all over your life. They're all over the way you have been formed. Listen, David specifically mentions, for example, the moon and the stars. See, the moon may seem like a lifeless dust ball in the sky, but it serves so many important functions. The moon, we know that it provides us with, with light at night. Genesis 1.16 says, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern by day and the lesser light to govern by night. He also made the stars. 
today. We know that the moon also causes the ocean, oceans to rise and fall. Its gravitational pull on the earth is just right to allow the ocean, oceans to circulate. This movement helps the seas to stay, to stay clean and to absorb the oxygen. And the tides the tides are also needed to support life. Listen, clearly the work of God's fingers is evidenced by the moon. If it were too big, it would cause dangerous tidal waves and earthquakes. If it was too small, the ocean would become stagnant and unable to support life. Concerning the stars, well, Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote that we seem to take them for granted. If constellations were only visible once in a century, every single person on planet Earth would probably stay up all night to gaze at them. And so the heavens are very telling of the glory of God. See, but God is not only the creator of the universe. He's the creator of you and me. In verse 5, let's go there. In verse 5, again, David said, You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so as human beings, you and I are God's most marvelous creation. In fact, the God of the universe actually bothered to create you, and that proves just how important you are to him and how valuable you can become when you live your life for God. Clearly, you are not an accident. You are not a fluke of nature or a byproduct of irresponsible parents. You were handmade by God himself. God prescribed every single detail of your body. And so he deliberately chose your race. He deliberately chose the color of your skin, your hair, and every other feature. He custom made you just the way he wanted you. We are wonderfully made. But your value in God's majesty don't stop at creation. See, David tells us in Psalm 8 that we, were also, we are also cared for by God. How many of you are glad that God cares for you? In verse 4, David again expressed his wonder by saying, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you actually care for them. Now listen, what we know today about the size of the universe makes the earth and its inhabitants look even more uh, uh, insignificant than they appeared in David's day. Our knowledge of light years and the reaches of outer space give us even more reason to ask, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? And yet in his great love, the Lord chose the earth for himself and he created you and I in his image. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, Pastor Rick Warren writes, why did God do all this? Like, why did he bother to go through all of the trouble of creating this universe for us? Simple but deep answer, because he is a God of love. He is a God of love. And I know that seems like a, a basic or a flip statement that people use all the time and maybe overuse at times. Uh, but the reality is God is a God of love and that before you were even thought of, he loved you. That you on your worst day, you need to know that God loves you. When you think that you're insignificant, when you think that you've gone too far, when you think that, that there is nothing good about you, that Pastor Freddie, I've been going in the wrong direction and nobody even knows on the surface 
surface, everything looks like it's all together. But in reality, in my heart of hearts, I have sinned. I am broken. I am messed up. And on those days, our God still loves you. He loves you. I know it's hard to fathom, right? It's fundamentally reliable. You were created as a special object of God's love. God made you so that he could love you. This is a truth you can build your life on. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4 says, I love this. Listen, Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. I have carried you since you were born. I have taken care of you from your birth Even when you are old, I will be the same. Even when your hair turns gray, I will take care of you. I made you and I will take care of you. I will carry you and save you. Man, this struck me hard as I was looking at it again this morning and thinking about so many people that I deal with as a pastor, especially people that are in their latter years. And they look at me and with all honesty, they say, Pastor Freddie, I think I have nothing else left to give. I have nothing else left to live for Uh, you know I'm and sometimes flippantly say I'm just ready to be with Jesus and I would remind them in those moments you are the object of God's love you are the apple of God's eye he created you because he cares for you and he loves you and even in your latter latter years when your hair has turned gray he says I will take care of you I know for some people they're like, Pastor Freddie, I thought it was going to be my children. I thought my children were going to take care of me, and, but it ain't looking good. It ain't looking good. I've told them, don't, don't throw me by the wayside. Don't put me in one of those homes. Don't do, you know, but it ain't looking good. You got to know today that even when your hair has turned gray, The Lord says, I will take care of you. See, God is constantly demonstrating his love for us. The Bible says that God can open up the windows of heaven and pour out a great blessing upon you, that there is not room enough for you to store it up. And so just as he once gave fishermen enough fish that it almost sank their boat, and so he can give you and I more blessings than we have the capacity to enjoy. In fact, when God's children journey through life, God's love and care goes before them. See, he anticipates the blessings we will need and he puts them in our path. I love this. He knows what we need before we need it. Before we even ask, he knows. So before you and I came into the world, he he made it so that uh, it can be uh, habitated and before you and I needed salvation, he made it possible and before we needed instruction and guidance, he wrote the Bible and before we could walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that he offers eternal life and before we enter into eternity, he opened the gate to heaven through Jesus. God's loving care for humanity was ultimately demonstrated through Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us. See, when the mob came to take him in the garden, he could have called legions of angels to protect him, but he didn't. And see, Jesus had the power to escape the interrogations of the Jewish council and Pilate and Herod, but he chose not to. Not to. Instead, Jesus chose to endure ridicule, physical and mental torture. He chose the nails because he cares for you. As insignificant as 
humanity may, may seem in relation to the whole universe, it was still for mankind that Jesus came, went to the cross and died, and rose again. See, Jesus didn't die to save the rainforest. He didn't die to save the humpback whale. He didn't die to protect the spotted owl. He died to save you and I. He created us to care for us, to watch over us, to save us. If that doesn't tell you how much you're worth today, then nothing ever will. And yet there's one more awesome truth in Psalm 8 concerning God's majesty and man's dignity. Finally, David tells us that we are crowned by God. Say crowned crowned by God. I told the earlier service, I almost went over to, to Burger King and asked for some crowns. <laughs> Go to verse uh, 5, looking at verses 5 through 8. David said, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything, say everything, you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the, bird in the sky, birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Listen, this was part of David's psalm and, and we know that it's, it's, it's unique and interesting, I think because it has a dual meaning, multiple meanings to it. In fact, a lot of Hebrew poetry does. On one level, David is referring back to Genesis when God crowned Adam and Eve and by extension all of humanity, placing them in charge of all of creation. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and the cattle and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. We were created to have dominion. We were created to rule. You see, God gave human beings a level of power and authority that he chose not to give to anything or anyone else in all creation. I know you love your dogs and cats, but uh, they are not God's special creation like you are. They were not given authority to rule. They were not given the power to represent him and to, to magnify or to reflect his image. He's given us authority so we can be responsible for the world that we live in, for the environment, for the creatures, large and small, with which the, wor the world we share with them. As Stan Lee used to say, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, as Christians, we have a responsibility to take care of the earth and everything in it. But beyond that, this verse speaks to our worth as human beings. See, in all of creation, from the microscopic amoebas to the dinosaurs of old, only human beings were created in the very image of God. While all of creation declares God's glory, only humanity can reflect God's glory. Walt Whitman once said, I think I would like to live with the animals because they're so tranquil. Of course, neither do they write beautiful poetry like Whitman did, and they never will. Only people specially created by God are capable of painting a portrait or composing a masterpiece because only people are made in God's image. On a, on a whole other level, this psalm is messianic in nature. That is, David is not only speaking of man's authority over creation in general, but specifically about man's, the son of man's authority over all of the earth. 
The author of Hebrews tells us that even though God gave us dominion and authority over the earth, because of the fall, we don't see people being responsible and actually ruling over the earth as God intended. What we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. And yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for every single one of us so that you and I can be crowned with honor and glory. Listen, this psalm not only looks backwards toward creation, but it looks forward toward the coming of Christ. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels and Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor and Jesus has everything under control. Listen, this is such an important point and I don't want you to miss it. Some of you get that you are the creation of God, that he's the creator and he created you and some of you get that because you are created in his image that he cares for you and he loves you but a lot of us, we miss out on the fact that he has crowned us with glory and honor and so this is where the devil comes and messes with your mind this is where the devil comes and lies to you he comes and he tries to tell you that you are who you used to be he comes and he tries to tell you that you'll never overcome your faults that you're ne you'll never grow that you'll never go to the next level but God is saying I have crowned you with honor and glory I love you with an unconditional love. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. And no matter who you used to be, that's not who you are. That's not who I see you as. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you with an everlasting love. You will overcome because I have crowned you with honor and glory. And so stop walking in shame. See, that's where the devil wants you. Walking in shame, embarrassed, maybe even to come to church because you've messed up so bad. Walking in shame because maybe you're not who you'd like to be in God. You've got dreams. You've got aspirations. You want to do something for God and, and maybe your sin prevents you. It trips you up and, and your life is not what you want it to be. And I'm telling you right now, you are God's special creation created in the image of God. He loves you with an unconditional love. He cares for you on your worst day. He still wants to crown you with honor and glory and you don't deserve it and neither do I but that's the God we serve that's the God we serve worship team come <clears throat> see it's in Jesus Christ that you and I truly discover who we are and what we're worth stop letting the world tell you what you're worth Stop letting other broken people that are broken different than you are tell you what you're worth. In Christ, we recover majesty. In him, we become the people that God wants us to be. You and I can reflect the glory of God. Oh, thank God for his glory. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his honor. I'm so thankful. 
Because this pastor is never good enough in himself. This pastor has never done enough good works to overcome the sins and the faults of my life. And this pastor is human. And I stand before you this morning thinking about all of the ways that I disappoint God. And I have to tell myself, don't live there. Don't shroud yourself in shame. Let him crown you with honor and glory. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you with an unconditional love. But Pastor Freddie, no buts. He loves you. You are crowned with honor and glory. You are a daughter or a child of God. You are his children. You are king's kids. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. The devil is a liar. Don't believe his lies. As David sat back with his pen in one hand and paper in the other to reflect on God's glory and majesty, he struggled with many deep questions that you and I still face today. Like, who am I? Or what is man that you would take thought of him? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? See, whenever we feel worthless, the words of this psalm should encourage us. We and all other human beings are valuable because God himself created us in his glorious image and we get to reflect it. He cares for us with an unrelenting love and he crowns us with glory and honor. Would you stand on your feet? Hallelujah. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I believe that you are speaking to your people. I believe that, that for some, God, they've been dealing with all kinds of hang-ups, maybe even this week or this morning. They almost didn't come to church. They said, you know, I should just stay home this week, this morning. It's a wash. I'm ashamed. I'm messed up. If I walk in, the ceiling might fall down. But you made it. You're here. And Holy Spirit is dealing with you. Holy Spirit is speaking to you to let you know that God crowns you with honor and glory. That he created you. You are his special creation. You are cared by him intimately. So Lord, touch our lives. Help us to live for you. Help us to live in light of who you are. The fact is, God, we are yours. We are yours. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Worship team, close us out.